You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles together. This morning we turn to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. This morning we'll read together a part of the first chapter and the last chapter. So we begin our reading at Revelation 1, the verses 1 to 11, which is also the text for this morning's sermon. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom, and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So far, chapter 1, then we turn to chapter 22, beginning at verse 7 to the end. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 
Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with his people. Amen. I preach to you this morning then from the word of our God as you find it in the first 11 verses of chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, a new year, as well some would say a new decade, has dawned. And to it, we want to add, as you can notice, a new series of sermons. But of course, the question is always, what shall we choose? Which of the 66 books of the Bible shall we turn to? Shall it be to the Old Testament or shall it be to the New? Well, beloved, we are going to turn in the next while to the New Testament and to the most controversial book in the New Testament if not in all the Bible, namely the book of Revelation. Now, this book is so controversial that I dare say most Christians either ignore it altogether with making an exception to a verse here or a verse there, or they are obsessed with it. It either receives the great brush-off or it becomes As one commentator has said, the paradise of fanatics, lunatics, and sectarians. And now why is it so? Why do so many Christians bypass it? And why is it also true that more than a few get swallowed up, as it were, in this particular book of the Bible? I suppose that the answer lies with the many different ways in which you can read it as well as interpret it. Of the many approaches that are out there, there are at least four main ones that should have our attention for a moment this morning. The first approach is called the preterist approach, P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-T. It insists that what John is describing here in Revelation is symbolic about the events of his very own time. It thus confines and limits the message of the book of Revelation to 
the time around the end of the first century. The problem with such an approach, however, is that then this book has little or no relevance for any other century and also not for the 21st century in which we are living today. The second approach is called the futurist approach, and what it does is insist that Revelation is almost exclusively concerned with events in the future, and especially those at the end or at the close of the age. Revelation, thus, is regarded by these people as the book for the last days. But you know, there is a problem here as well, for it would be a strange thing if this book has nothing to say to the believers of John's own day and to their particular situation. Every other New Testament book is first addressed to a local audience or to the readers at that time, so why not this one? The third approach to the book of Revelation is called the historist approach. And according to it, Revelation should be read like a chart of world history. And the chart begins with the first century and the chart ends with the second coming of Christ. And so, for example, the chapters 1 to 3 describe church history in the first century And the chapters 4 to 19, for example, describe church history in those early centuries, in the medieval period, in the Reformation period, in the modern church age, and so forth. I hope you get the idea. The problem with this approach, however, is that it takes some spectacular leaps of imagination to make the chart fit. The fourth approach is the idealist one, and it is of the opinion that Revelation presents us with principles that are valid throughout Christian history and experience. This last book of the Bible is then all about the struggle between Christ and the church on the one side and the devil and his allies on the other. Now, the problem with that approach is that it tends to gloss over the situation of the first readers to which this book are addressed. It generalizes, you can say, far, far too much. So then we have four main approaches to this puzzling book. Which one shall we choose? Shall we opt for the preterist? the futurist, the historist, or the idealist position. Well, beloved, we're not going to choose for any of them. Rather, what we are going to do as we delve into this amazing book is to see that all of these four approaches actually have some contribution to make. You see, there is no one right way of interpreting the book of Revelation. It takes a combination of approaches. Yes, and now when we take this multifaceted approach, what we shall see is that the book of Revelation is no puzzle book. It is not 
inscrutable, unknowable, impossible, or incomprehensible. Indeed, if you want, you can say the book of Revelation is a picture book. It deals with the past, the present, and the future in terms of graphic, startling, and dramatic images. John, as we shall note, is always seeing and looking and watching something happen or something unfold. And what he often sees blows him away. It enables him to see God's purposes in a new and utterly astounding, but also, I might add, very comforting way. Yes, and John and the Spirit wanted it to do the same for us today. And so, beloved, hold on to your pews. Let's begin our exploration of the book of Revelation, God's great picture book. It opens, as you'll see, with a word of greeting from the Lord, a word of instruction for John, a word of blessing for its readers. Now, beloved, the first thing that we should take note of as we begin to read this book, is its greeting. We shall deal with the verses 1 to 3, the prologue, in in due time. But you know, almost every letter, every epistle in the New Testament, be it from Paul, Peter, or John, begins with a type of greeting. And usually those greetings are short and they are sweet. Something like grace and peace to you. But yet, that's not the case with the book of Revelation. You notice here the greeting is long. And while there is sweetness in it, it is also very involved. There are at least six parts to this greeting. In chapter 1, you can find the first part in the beginning of verse 4, and maybe it's good for you to keep your Bibles handy. It begins with authorship, and it simply says, John. John is the human author of this book. He is the one whom the Holy Spirit chooses to use, and if you ask which John, well, without going into all kinds of details, I am of the view that this is John the Apostle. The same John who wrote the fourth gospel, the three letters, is also selected to write this last book of the Bible. The second part of the greeting comes in the middle of verse 4, and it deals with the recipients or the address of this letter. It says, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. In other words... This letter is not some general epistle. Its initial audience is not unknown. No, it is written to seven specific local churches in Asia or Asia Minor, what we call today Turkey. And if interested, you can still visit the places where these churches were situated and see some of the ruins. The third part of the greeting can be found at the end of verse 4 and the start of verse 5. And it deals with the real, original sender of this letter. It says, grace 
and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Wow. That's quite a greeting and quite a mouthful. And it also needs a closer look. Of course, the first thing that you see is it's long. It goes on and on. The second thing that strikes us is that it goes on and on about Jesus Christ. He's described as the one who is, who was, and who is to come, which means, in other words, he is the eternal one. And he's also described as the exalted one who sits on heaven's throne, for note, he has seven spirits before him. And he is described to as the faithful one, as the witness whose word and testimony is true and reliable. And next he is described as the risen one. John calls him the firstborn from the dead. You see, here's the one who died, was buried, but rose again. And finally, he is described as the ruling one. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The king over all. Now, beloved, that's quite the greeting. It's unlike any other found in the Bible. It's long, it's profound, it's loaded, and it's lofty. And indeed, it is so much so that immediately it generates a reaction. A reaction of praise. And that brings us to the middle of verse 5 and verse 6, and the fourth part of this greeting, which is all about the song of the church to him who loves us. And has freed us from our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve as God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Now these words are addressed to Jesus Christ. The Christ, the church says, who has loved us, freed us, and promoted us. And notice, too, it comes from the us who have been embraced by him, liberated by him, called to service by him. And notice that it all climaxes in his eternal power and glory. You see, the picture that emerges here is of a church, a people who are just so grateful And so thankful to have such a stupendous Savior. They cannot contain themselves. They just have to praise Him. Their lips are flowing over because their hearts are so full of love and gratitude. And indeed, that in turn all begs the question, doesn't it? As we enter into a new year and as we enter into a new decade, what about us? Do we realize that we are part of this people, confessing here in Revelation chapter 1? 
And is there also with us and in our hearts a real sense of gratitude for this great God and Savior? For the fact that He is our Lord and our King? The best way to start a new period of time is with our minds filled to overflowing with John's vision of our great Redeemer. Well, now this brings us to verse 7 and the fifth part of this long reading, and it's about the coming one. It reads, Lo, or look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. That's a quotation from the Old Testament. It's part of Zechariah 12, verse 10. And it introduces us to another aspect of this book of Revelation, which is that you can't really grasp it and understand its meaning unless you know something about those other books of the Bible, the other 65 books of the Bible, and especially those 39 books of the Old Testament. John's always going back to them. In any case, what John is led to tell us is that the Jesus who lived, suffered, was crucified, died, was buried, rose again, and ascended is not finished. He has not yet arrived at his final destination. His work is not yet done. He cannot rest on his laurels. Now there is one great thing that he still has to do. And it has everything to do with his coming again. Only next time, what a coming it will be. First time when he came, hardly anyone noticed. Some shepherds, a company of angels, some wise guys from the east, a few little people called Zachariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, and Anna, as well as Mary and Joseph noticed. And of course, Herod was forced to notice too, eventually. But that's about it, folks. The first coming is a coming with stealth. But the next coming, when he comes again, Revelation says it will be with the clouds. When he comes again, every eye will see him. When he comes again, even his murderers will see him, those who pierced him. When he comes again, all the peoples of the earth will mourn. Because of him. You see, taken together, when he comes again, it's going to be visible, exalted, universal, and upsetting. It'll upset the world. It will upset the powers that be. It will upset every unbelieving heart. How different it's going to be the second time around.
Oh, and if you're in doubt about that, then I would say look at verse 8 and the sixth part of this startling greeting, which is all about divine confirmation. Listen, I am the Alpha and the Omega who says the Lord God who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Who's speaking here? God the Father. It's God the Father is confirming what John has written. And what Jesus has said. It's all true. And he should know because he spans all of time and eternity. All the ages and every world. He is the beginning, the alpha. He is the end, the omega. He knows everything. He's always been and he will always be. And so now he puts his signature on the bottom of this stunning reading. Everything that you read and that you will see in this book is true, is real, is coming to pass. Believe it. Because I am the Alpha and the Omega And I am telling you this. So, beloved, opens that most unusual and last book of the Bible. I hope this got your attention. I hope it woke you up and caused you to listen. I hope it will keep you tuned in in the course of time. But then, beloved, if there is a most graphic Greeting here for openers, there's also a more simple word for John. It's a word of instruction, you find it in the verses 9 to 11. And in these verses, we are introduced a bit more to John. Notice he introduces himself as our brother. That means he belongs with us to the great family of God. And notice, too, that he introduces himself as our companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. John is not just our brother. He is also our compatriot in suffering. And all those who have suffered for the sake of Jesus Christ can identify with him and he with them. Yes, and that brings us to another aspect that we need to understand in order to grasp the meaning of the book of Revelation, and that is the aspect that it was written in a time of great suffering for the church of our Lord. Most scholars put the writing of this book in the reign of the Roman Emperor Domitian. If you know anything about history, you will know that during his reign, the church suffered terribly. The number of Christians put to death was great. The torturing that went on was excruciating and unspeakable. The stuff of nightmares and horror films and the suffering was immense. And John had experienced some of this, and he was still experiencing this when he wrote this particular book of Revelation. 
He refers not only to being a companion in the suffering, but he also says to being on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You know, the Romans had banished him for his face to the remote island of Patmos some 12 kilometers or so off the coast of Turkey. They wanted him out of sight and out of mind. But again, God foils their plans. For it says that one Lord's Day, we don't know which, on a particular Sunday, he was in the Spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. What stands out in these words in the verses 10 and 11 is that it is ultimately the Spirit of God who prompts John to write what he does. He didn't dream up this fantastic book. It's not the product of an overly vivid or inventive in human imagination. No, it comes from the Holy Spirit. And it comes from the Holy Spirit loudly. Notice. The Spirit didn't just whisper it very quietly in John's ear. No, it says he blasted it at him like a trumpet call. And in the process, the Spirit left him no doubt whatsoever as to what he was to do. He was to write. He was to write what he was going to see. He's to describe what is happening before his eyes. And then he's to take it and to write it on the scroll and to send it to the seven churches. So what is this? Well, this is God telling us through John that he has something important to say to his churches then. And still, because he preserved it all those centuries to his churches now, he has something to say in the midst of suffering. He has something to say to his people that's going to cause them to stand up and look up and be encouraged and be comforted. Something to say to them when all around them the church is being vanquished and bloodied and killed. Something to say to them today about today, but also about tomorrow. Something to say about Jesus Christ who reigns today and will come back tomorrow. For look, he is coming. So, beloved, you have a word of greeting. You have a word of instruction. One more thing, a word of blessing for all who read and who react properly to this book. You find that, we go back to the verses 1 to 3, the first thing that these opening words tell you is that you need to read this book as a revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Very simply, that means you need to read it as an eye-opener. It's telling you about things that have been hidden and concealed until now. Amazing things, wondrous things, surprising things, even disturbing things. And the second thing you need to realize is that this book comes from God the Father to Jesus Christ the Son, to an angel, to John, and ultimately to the church. To you and I. This is our book. We are its final recipients. But simply this book is meant for us as the people of God. It comes to our address. Consider it an email from heaven, if you will. But then an email filled with mind-boggling images and illustrations. The third thing about this book that comes to us is that you and I, you and I need to take it seriously. There is serious stuff in this book. There is life and death stuff. There is heaven and hell stuff. It comes with a dire warning. You heard that at the end of Revelation 22. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life. And in the holy city. In other words, don't tamper with this book. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. And what then are we to do with it? Well, look at chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads the words of the prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it. And take to heart what is written in it. So read this book. Hear what it says. Take it to heart. Believe it, apply it, and live it. And why? Because the end is near. The year 2010 and the new decade that we have entered are all in the last times. You know, God has only one event left on his long, redemptive agenda. And this is it. Only the second coming of Christ remains undone. And when it comes exactly, we do not know. But we do know. He is coming. The end is coming. The end is near. Make sure that you are always ready. If you don't want to be found mourning like the rest of the earth on the great day of days, And you need to take this book and read it and believe it. 
and be blessed by it. Indeed, beloved, may the Lord God bless us as we grapple with and as we seek to apply the message of this last book of the Bible to our hearts and lives in the coming weeks and months. For lo, He is coming. And He is coming soon. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.